Welcome to my conversation with Varun Bakel. Varun is the CEO of Farm Credibly, a Jamaican company that uses blockchain technology to enable funding for local underbanked farmers. In this conversation, we talk about both sides of the equation. We talk about how the farmers can get funding and how investors can benefit from this alternative investment. Here's my conversation with Varun Baker. So for me personally, you know, I started getting interested in now what we're calling agritech, you know, over 10 years ago, um, when I started working with the Ministry of Agriculture here in Jamaica. Um, at the time, I was co-founder of a nonprofit called um, the Slash Roots Foundation. And I, uh, you know, we, we had a great opportunity to work with the Ministry of Agriculture that collects a lot of data in Jamaica. And the idea at that point was to create um, better access to this data and, you know, kind of publish it as a way to um, actually be a tool for, for entrepreneurs to build stuff. So I started getting interested actually several years ago, but really Farm Credibly started um, in 2018 officially. At the end of 2017, we, um, you know, I put a team together and we actually won a hackathon. So we're one of, you know, few projects that have um, sustained themselves beyond, you know, these kind of competitions. But um, it was a great opportunity. Really, it was organized by NCB, a big commercial bank in Jamaica, and uh, IBM, um, and a telecoms here called Flow. They were the big sponsors, and um, they were actually introducing blockchain technology um, because IBM had this big push to get people on their their cloud and using this. So, um, you know, I've, I'm a software engineer by training, and so you know, I gravitated very quickly to understanding the technical aspects of this technology. But because of my exposure in agriculture, I realized that hey, it's actually a really good fit because this technology has the ability to build trust and agricultural markets here in Jamaica operate with very low levels of trust. So when you look at the interactions between farmers, people who purchase from them, you know, supermarkets, their hotels, there's so many layers, um, but um, underneath it all is this um, crazy ecosystem where essentially, you know, there, nobody trusts anyone, right? The farmer doesn't trust that they're going to get paid on time. Right. Um, the the person purchasing from the farmer has questions about consistency and quality. You know, they don't. If there's spoilage, they may end up paying for it. So the you know it, it goes beyond just adding a layer of transparency um, to our supply chains and actually opens up new possibilities. And that's what really excited me. So. The technology allows for the verification or validation of information by third parties for the first time in a credible way. And for agriculture, you know, I was always talking to farmers, trying to get them to, uh, hey, use use an app, you know, try to do this for data collection. Data collection and record keeping, bookkeeping is a big mm -hmm. challenge for a lot of farmers. And then I realized with this technology, actually, you can remove that burden from being entirely on the farmer and actually validate the farmer's creditworthiness by using third parties or companies within the farmer's business web network. So, mm -hmm. you know, the farm store that they purchase inputs from seeds fertilizer can, you know, probably does better bookkeeping than the farmer themselves and can kind of 
vouch for this farmer to say, hey, yes, this person has had this relationship with me for the last six months or six years. Right. Uh, but even more importantly, the person who the farmer is making sales to, right? So an agro processor here or a supermarket can do a similar thing to say, yes, these, you know, uh, these sales were made um, based on the farmer, this farmer's supply, or, you know, I bought from this farmer several times. So essentially it gives the possibility of creating a profile to people who are, have no credit history, right? right? And that's the vast majority of Jamaicans actually, you know, something like 86% of Jamaicans are underbanked. So not unbanked, but underbanked, meaning they don't, you know, if they're using financial services, it's just to make a deposit and, and a withdrawal. So they don't go beyond that. And there is a whole suite of financial services that um, essentially the, the majority of the population are excluded from. And um, I realized the power of, of data in, in solving this. And that's kind of what started started us down this journey of, of Farm Credibly. Okay, so what I'm hearing is that the what you're describing right now is kind of a credit scoring system to to build that credibility for yeah, business partners basically um or to to evaluate the credit worthiness or business worthiness of of the counterparty or the farmer in that case um mm -hmm. and and how or I, I get that so far but first of all my question would be how is the adoption of that because i'm assuming you need a kind of network effect to or a critical mass of people to, to participating absolutely. absolutely yeah so i mean initially we we were like okay this is great you know we can just uh offer this as a service to like banks who are already giving loans so we call this alternative credit scoring mm -hmm. and our main value proposition is that hey we can create this this score or this measure of credit worthiness where that wasn't possible before uh but you're right you do need a net network effect you do need a, a a large number of people to be um participating for this to be useful in the first place so we have really you know pivoted we've scaled back our expectations and we've really actually altered um the service that we're offering so mm -hmm. like you said from visiting our website um individuals can actually finance farms whereas it's not um so it's so this is no longer a tool uh for for um for banks at least not now it's more of a long-term plan to hey to say hey we have something that can operate like a like a credit bureau much shorter term we've we've scaled back on a lot of the expectations in terms of um providing alternative credit scoring you know and we've and we've learned a lot in the process and we've um you know our models continue to evolve in fact um i wanted to reach out to you because i noticed your background um is with the frankfurt school of um, finance and management i believe right exactly. and this school actually published a um something that was very foundational to farm credibly so there is an agricultural lending evaluation system called ALICE, or the acronym is ALICE, A-L-E-S, mm -hmm. and it uses, um, it, it basically lays the foundation of how to evaluate um, farm farmers uh, in terms of credit, and I, yeah, I, I would love to uh, follow up with you to see if there is anyone you can put me in touch with who has uh, has been using this, this system, because it's, sure, it's also... 
great. Yeah. Great, yeah, because it's also helped us. So how, guide me a little bit through the, the process or the, the pitch or however you want to call it. So let's assume I'm a Jamaican farmer, I have my plot of land, I'm growing hot pepper, banana, sugar cane, whatever it might be. Um, why should I work with you? Why should I become a client or, or what would be the, the process or the, the steps and the benefits for me as a, as a farmer? So, so for farmers, it's actually a much easier pitch and we have a lot of um, support from farmers who are interested in our product. So mm -hmm. for farmers, it's about access to finance. It's a huge perennial problem in the developing world. And I'm learning even in several developed countries where farmers can't access capital. So it's a very easy conversation usually. Hey, do you need capital to expand your farm? The answer is usually yes. Right. The challenge is deciding on um, who is who. Right. So there's the idea of, for instance, a subsistence farmer who is only planting to maybe feed themselves. Um, and there is another type of farmer who is perhaps approaching this more like a business and who wants to grow um, and scale their current operation. And so the challenge is determining who is who. Um, so for farmers, it's a super easy pitch. Hey, do you need any do you need access to finance the answer is usually yes right nine out of ten farmers or more cannot walk into a bank and uh, get a loan um, and if you talk to farmers and see the reality on the ground there there are usually um, a lot of uh, challenges that can be overcome with um, access to capital like hey do you need a water tank yeah you know my, most farms in jamaica for instance are rain fed so it depends on the rainfall and with climate change everything else this is becoming a bigger and bigger issue right there are droughts there are big storms there's uh, a lot to contend with so for farmers it's actually a super easy pitch hey do you you know how, how's your um how's your access to finance you know mm -hmm. so yeah so then what would be the the first step i'm assuming i'm registering or signing up at some for, kind so of app or, or process and then so for a farmer, it's actually uh, a matter of getting a, a recommendation or uh, being referred to us by someone. So someone who the farmer already does business with um, will basically vouch for that farmer and say, hey, yes, I, I know this person. So we, um, like, you were, like we were saying earlier, are starting out very focused and very, um, you know, growing the network from a very small point or an initial stage. So we're focusing on one vertical, which is actually pepper farmers. Mm -hmm. um, hot pepper is um, a good here that is in very high demand internationally, and there's a lot of potential to grow. We've never satisfied the demand for it internationally. Say, um, yeah, and there's several- bonnet for the wind. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right, scotch bonnet, yep. Um, and there's another variety called West Indian Red, which is similar. Um, but these two things, you know, they grow well in our soil. We have a nice flavor profile. And um, yeah, it's, it's so usually the conversation starts um, understanding where they fit in in the, the pepper ecosystem, you know, um, who they sell to, for instance, is an important first step to establish. And from that point, we start building a profile around them. Conversations usually start around what their water source is. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, do you have a water tank? If not, that's probably where some of the initial funding will go. So to to minimize the risk from, from droughts and stuff, is that the, the reason? 
yeah, it's all about minimizing risk. Our, our entire um, involvement is around minimizing risk in the situation. So we have um, a very good idea of, you know, what a kind of generic budget around pepper production should be. There are several steps to take in addition to the water to help um, de-risk as well. Um, and yeah, I think usually farmers are, yeah, onboarded in, in this way where we start start uh, filling out a profile for them by interacting with them. Um, if things proceed, we eventually do a site visit and actually visit the farm, uh, ensure that they have things in place that they need, see if there are any risks that they may not have thought of or communicated. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, um, that's kind of how the onboarding of farmers go, goes. Okay, and then, so let's say I got green light that I'm trustworthy, business worthy, that I, I fulfill all the requirements. Do I then kind of yeah, just state the amount of money that I'm applying for? Um, or how would the next, do I have to oh, say, okay, right. I want that water tank that costs that much amount of money, or I need, I don't know, I want to buy more land, or what would be the... The next right steps, yeah. so so there's agreed up there's an agreed upon budget which is okay. on a per acre basis um it's usually to expand current uh production so if i'm planting on five acres you know what's it going to take to get to 10 um and the funding is yeah directly linked to um cost per acre of of production so um we have like i said budgets set out so it's not so much the farmer telling us how much they need Mm -hmm. but us uh, sharing a, a budget and adjusting it based on the farmer's reality on the ground. Sometimes labor mm -hmm. costs a bit more, sometimes it's a bit less, but we know roughly the price of water tanks, right? Um, so it's, yeah, it's mainly like that. And when the farmer, another way of reducing risk is actually not dispersing um, these funds all to the farmer at once, but also agreeing with them in terms of a timeline for the project. So we have an idea of budget, but we also have a good idea of um, the phasing of production and when to expect, you know, our first harvest and so on. And so we can set goals um, together with the farmer um, to decide on when they need specific payouts, you know, and so it's all about hitting those um, agreed upon targets that will um, kind of unlock these, uh, these payments. Okay, so when I understand it correctly, it's basically I'm building my, my credit score and based on that I qualify for X amount of, of budget or X amount of funding per acre or, or other metrics that are finally relevant, okay. And how are the, and the, um, you kind of mentioned it right now, so the, um, so the terms of paying back the, the loan or the funding, they are standardized or are they always on an individual basis or how does that work? Um, they're, they're standardized, but because we're a startup, there is some wiggle room or room for negotiation. So we, um, we make a strong suggestion um, in terms of where these numbers should be. For farm funders, you know, we, the returns are between 15 and 20% after a year. Um, farm Credibly is also involved as a fund, as a as an investor in a sense in this farm because we're investing time and money and expertise in helping with the farm management. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, and also ensuring that this repayment happens. So um, we also get a, a percentage, usually between 10 and 15 percent, and the farmer um, keeps the rest. So it's about um, a three-way agreement where we help to manage and monitor the farm activity and also ensure that the goods hit the um, hit the market. So it might be going to an agro-processor here mm-hmm. or going to the export market, right? Both actually have different price points and different um, payouts for the farmer. So we just try to, um, yeah, facilitate the whole process and we charge a commission for that. Okay. And how would it look from the, yeah, from the other side where the money is coming from, from investors? Are these usually individuals? Are we talking about... Mm-hmm banks here and uh, yeah what if, right. if i would say so, right i have ten thousand us dollar or x amount of money and mm-hmm. uh, i think an investment in, in agriculture in jamaica is a, is a good thing is a nice return or alternative investment to diversify my portfolio would that work mm-hmm. and if so how how would be the yeah it's here? funny that you said the price point of ten thousand. so um yeah it's we're actually the costing is roughly ten thousand us per acre and right now where we're getting the most traction is with individuals so we started out aiming at banks we realized banks are so risk adverse that they are not the right target for this um you know banks lend less than two percent of their portfolios in agriculture and that's typically not even in um to farmers directly so um but farm agriculture contributes to over 7% of GDP and even more if you include the manufacturing it contributes to. So it's really lopsided uh, when you look at banks. And so we've really diverted our attention from that. And we're looking actually at the Jamaican and Caribbean diaspora. Mm -hmm. So we have communities in Canada, the US and the UK where we are seeing a lot of interested individuals. And we're actually currently piloting something where we are making it easier for people to invest in groups and to share these opportunities among their own friend networks Mm -hmm. so we see that as an easier way to uh for people to get on board as investors because just to make sure i understood you right so because you have that ten thousand threshold for for an initial investment or that's That's right yeah the the price point is actually typically outside of what um people in the diaspora feel comfortable with given the proposal so we're saying hey if you get 10 people together a one thousand dollar you know commitment is is a much easier sell and what how how would the the legal stuff or maybe the the blockchain comes into place how does that work out do i let's say i have the ten thousand or i represent a investor group whatever um Mm -hmm. Am I now, do I getting equity uh, as part of the, do I own part of the land or part of the whole operation or is it a complete loan or is it that US farm credibly guarantee my, my repayment? Um, how is it stored on the blockchain? Um, a, a lot of questions, but maybe you can Sure, I, I can understand that. So, I mean, actually with, um, with blockchain, this is usually, um, Kind of working very much behind the scenes and is uh, invisible in a sense to both investors and or what, what I sh- should actually say is financers and um, 
farmers, right? They don't care so much about the technology, but since okay. you do, I'm happy to go into more detail. Um, the tokenization of, of what we're talking about in terms of what people get is actually into the, uh, into the production. So you essentially, we, we are tokenizing the uh, production on the farm. The truth is it doesn't make sense to try to own a piece of the land necessarily. Sometimes the farmers don't even own it, right? They're leasing land. So um, what we're actually saying is, hey, you are, um, you are essentially financing this production of pepper at let's say $40 per kilo. Mm -hmm. And when it hits the market, that same token or that same $40 per kilo is now worth you know, $100 per kilo, mm -hmm. and you can get a payout from that. So it's, it's tracked in this way. Um, you know, we're actually doing a lot of our process right now manually, mm -hmm. and together with um, working with a, with a model farm, because we are ironing out a lot of the details, and it's actually quite expensive to develop directly on the blockchain, or deploy things. And like you said earlier, you know, this thing will really grow with a network effect and we're really not there yet. So we we are we don't want to be premature in our deployment, but what we are instead doing is getting our hands very dirty with um, smart contracts. And we have some really interesting stuff in kind of the R&D side of the company uh, where that's concerned. But, you know, I won't really speak about that yet. Um, so yeah, so to answer your question, you know, what people get is, you know, a digital receipt to show that they, um, they own, um, a piece of production is essentially not, not a piece of land, not a, not a piece of the, not, not equity in the farmer's business, but, um, actually this, this commodity as it moves along the supply chain, supply and chain increases yeah. in value. That's yeah. what I was thinking. So we basically kind of tokenize the supply chain or part of it and um that's okay so how would the because you mentioned that it's a lot of manual um processes um, involved how would it work now and, and what is your your vision do i have to have a coinbase account with some ether or bitcoin in it or can i just use my credit card or do i have yeah, yeah to use another third party right so right now like i said uh, things things are manual, and we're also exclusively using the traditional financial systems that exist. So people make payments, yes, with their credit card or with wire transfer, and it goes through the formal banking sector. I, I would say this is uh, a clear and very easy fit to actually use digital currencies. Also, because we are talking about, I want I want you know I'm moving away from using language like lending or loans, but um, financing these farms, even in terms of their farm inputs, which is uh, a clear part of this, it's much easier if they can just walk into these farm stores and walk out without the exchange of, uh, of physical currency, right? Mm -hmm. It also right. allow, it, it allow, also stops the event where the farmer is given physical currency, but some um, event happens some school fees have to be paid today or something else happens and the money gets diverted. So there are clear benefits to using digital currency, but that's not a reality in Jamaica yet. And um, there are also several questions around how um, 
some of these things will be regulated. So you mentioned Coinbase, et cetera. So for those reasons, and because there's so many other things to try to solve, we, um, we're not yet facilitating um, actual cryptos on our, on our network or anything like that. Um, that will, that can likely change in the future. Mm-hmm. And um, we look forward to that. And like I said, we're experimenting with some really cool stuff right now. Um, but in terms of what we're offering formally as a product, it's using you know the traditional financial um, systems that exist. What would be the, the dream state when we fast forward, I don't know, five years, one year, 10 years, you pick the time frame. what would be your, yeah, your, your ideal scenario? So, um, you know, I, I would like for us to have built up a healthy enough uh, network and ecosystem to facilitate um, digital lending as well as repayments all, you know, all wirelessly, all through um, these tools we already have in our hands, you know, cell phones and, um, you know, have, have an impact on um, numerous farmers um, across Jamaica. But of course, in five years time, the goal here is to also expand to other economies who are faced with similar challenges, which um, are actually quite large. So I think within the Caribbean is one way to look at it. But if you look at the wider developing world, um, countries in Africa where we have also had the opportunity to present have been extremely receptive to this because the problem at its heart is a, is a global one around access mm-hmm. to finance and agriculture. So we would like to build um, these tools and technology to a state where it's working and working well in Jamaica, but we'd like to then apply these in other contexts. Um, but it does involve a lot of work on the ground. It means onboarding, not just farmers, but businesses to participate, to vouch for these farmers um, and financiers who are interested in, in financing these farms. So there's a lot of work um, kind of necessary but we definitely want to, um, yeah, to rise to the occasion and, and um, see this being uh, extremely impactful in five, 10 years. I think so too. I totally agree with your statement. That's one of the main bottlenecks is the yeah, not existing or limited existing access um, to financing. So what would you see as a biggest bottleneck for you right now? Is it to onboard more, more farmers? Is it the, the tech side um, of things? Is it to get more investors um, that, that putting money uh, or yeah, financing right. projects? So if I'm to single it out to one thing, it would be the third thing you mentioned, finding more financiers um, who, who want to finance this because that's, um, that's the source of the funding at the end of the day. Farmers, like I said, we have little problem with uh, with traction or, or getting interest in our in participating in our platform, um, and then the second, the, the next layer to this is to get more uh, businesses in the farmers ecosystem to also uh, to also participate. But to single it out to one thing, it would be about getting more um, more financiers on board, and so that's where a lot of our R and D um, energy is going, and what you know we're really singling we're really focusing on what our customer looks like and what their, what their needs are as well, right? What do they, what's important to them? What's important to communicate to them 
as a part of this process, right? There's a there's a one year wait before you start getting back your money, and so what's uh, what's important for these people who have um, options, right, and alternative places to put their funds. So we, um, yeah, so we're we're learning a lot in this process. So what, what is your experience? Why do or what is the biggest motivation for people right now to invest in in these kind of projects? So it's mainly about um, the impact. It's about people who are um, either conscious about our food supply systems and uh, want to do something different or want to interact in a different way with with our food supply systems. And secondly, with the diaspora, you know, people have, uh, you know, maybe even a small level of guilt having left the island and, uh, um, you know, being in a situation where they're able to earn more, but lack a, a convenient way to kind of give back to either their communities or even their families sometimes. You know, we're, we hear a lot of kind of horror stories of people who think they are, their money is going to a specific um, initiative or, or family member and, um, or purpose and things don't work out that way, right? This may be going to individuals, but even government initiatives in the past have suffered from what I started out by describing, right? Which is this lack of trust and lack of credibility. So that's what we are really working hard to do differently. And what I think will, um, will drive this product into the future. So one concern that I would have right now as an investor would be the, um, the currency or the settlement um, rather, meaning I come from the UK or I come from Europe or Canada and I invest in British pound or Canadian dollar. Um, and then one year from now, I get a payout in Jamaican dollar, which is then yeah, 5%, 10%, 20% uh, yeah, fallen or has fallen um, in, in value. Um, is that a concern? Is, do you hedge that in some is, way or is it completely irrelevant? How do you, what can you say about no, that? No, it's, it's, it's not irrelevant at all. It is, it is um, a good point that you raise. And I think um, it, it is a challenge because we have to work in Jamaican dollars, our um, farm costs and inputs and budgets, everything is calculated in Jamaican dollars, but you're absolutely right. If the dollar itself devalues um, during the, the year and the process, it actually can have a negative impact on financiers who operate in a, in a different currency that probably didn't devalue. So it is something we're working through. It is also another justification to have, um, uh, to use a digital currency that's not as, um, that's uh, not decreasing in value the way the Jamaican dollar is. Um, and it's, it's, an, it's an improvement we plan to roll out, but it's a limitation we haven't been able to avoid for our current iteration. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's fine because we're still in a mode where we're starting small, we're working with our model farm, we're identifying you know, individuals who are, interest, who are interested in participating this way and have some level of understanding of the situation. So that's probably why we've seen more traction with Jamaicans in the diaspora than, you know, maybe individuals in, in Germany. But it's something we're aware, very aware of, and we are uh, currently, you know, working on addressing that using, uh, using technology 
and using an intermediary um, store of uh, of this value or this financing so that it doesn't all um, end up in Jamaican dollars. And like I say, we pay in disbursements um, in a in a phased manner. So um, not everything is necessarily uh, getting to the farmer at the uh, at the same time. So yeah. Do we have any thoughts about the or on the currently minted um, yeah, digital or central bank digital currency um, of the Bank of Jamaica? Um, yeah. I mean, a little off topic, I, but maybe yeah, some connections. Here. Sure. No, there are definitely connections. Um, I mean, I would say I'm I'm pretty okay. I'm I'm overall I'm supportive and excited that this exists. Um, as an entrepreneur and someone who works in the space, I'm also critical, if you'll allow me to be, and um, a little please. disappointed even. Okay, <laughs> I so think first we're of all- we sharing some uh, opinions here, but yeah, please go ahead. <laughs> okay, so first of all, it's not um, based on blockchain technology. That's the right. biggest uh, red flag and problem for me. I think if you're making a decision in this time as a central bank, given the global space and context, it really blows my mind why you would not want to develop expertise in this area or launch something using this technology. So that's a huge red flag and problem. Um, but the bigger problem is actually around um, adoption and the way that this is um, being rolled out. So it's, you know, it's very similar and in line with how um, financial institutions think here, um, but it's uh, it's very much like a, a closed, um, closed, it, it, they're, they're barriers to entry, they're extreme barriers to entry for even a small company like myself or anyone else. And that's not gonna work in Jamaica's favor. I mean, what, what the financial sector suffers from is being extremely exclusive and excluding large percentages of the population and nothing in this digital um, currency being issued by this the Bank of Jamaica um, is moving away from that. It's, it's, much, it, it's very much continuing to operate in the same way. And, you know, with my experience, et cetera, and, and you know, being a technologist or a developer myself, you know, I'm not, I'm not excited about the technical aspect of this. This, you know, from a technical standpoint has been possible for a long time. In fact, there are several startups and friends of mine who have created, um, you know, systems that can do the same or even better. And these things were really turned down and not given any support. And, um, and so on a technical level, yeah, I'm not, I haven't seen anything that will necessarily impress me that, or anything so impressive. Um, and I, yeah, I wait to see and hope that they can be successful in rolling it out. But I'm, I'm fearful that if there is not a big initiative to include the entirety of the population, that it will be, um, you know, a, a, a failure, much like mobile money has been and several other, you know, initiatives that have followed a similar similar process of, of rollout and being really um, cagey. But I mean, to, to, to better maybe contextualize this, you know, Jamaica is 
between a hard and a rock place. Hard, sorry, between a rock and a hard place in the sense that we are flagged as a territory with a lot of potential money laundering, etc. And so there is in fact regulation right. that's beyond the shores of Jamaica that um, means that you know our, our hands are tied here. So I'm not really putting the blame on uh, on our local institutions entirely. I think there's a bigger, but but I think we can be more. Um, I think we should be more more adventurous because the risk is that, uh, yeah, is that we'll kind of miss the boat in the sense that there, uh, this is a global, this is a global shift, and we can. Uh, I I think we should help to lead the charge instead of just um, picking up whatever crumbs there are. Yeah, I think I agree here that um, it is or, or was a kind of lost opportunity or rather I'm a big proponent of yeah, decentralizing power, money, finance, however you want to call it, and which is one of the principles of, of blockchain or, or cryptocurrencies in, in that regard. And um, yeah, the central bank digital currency is pretty much the opposite so i'm i see a lot of the disadvantages um with not so much of the advantages or benefits um of, of that solution but um yeah we will we will see um one last thing and then maybe a crazy idea or you will call me borderline insane uh, when i'm <laughs> when i'm talk about that but Okay. In, in my naive worldview, um, I see, what about the cannabis market? I see uh, the world opening up for that. I see the US, I see countries in Europe, I see South American countries, Mexico legalizing and so on. And uh, yeah, Jamaica has some, some history there. It's now also, I think, 2015, um, uh, kind of legalized. It provides licenses. So is it in the realm of possibility to say in a few years down the line, I have not only the option to invest in a yeah, Scotch bonnet pepper farm, but also a cannabis farm in a legal risk-free way without being with one yeah, half in, in, in prison or something? Um, or is that, yeah, as you said, there are a lot of international regulations, money laundering and banks uh, and, and so yeah. on. So is that anything that could be a reality in a few years or is it still far down the line? Um, so I certainly hope that it can be a reality in a few years. Um, I think we're, we're well positioned to make, um, yeah, to make a lot of impact in this, in this sector, but it is, yeah, you're right. It is a few years down the road and similar to what we were saying earlier, there is a bit of a, there's the potential for a missed opportunity here from the standpoint of, of Jamaica. So we have like an international brand, uh, you know, without any formal marketing around this commodity that is actually like a new, um, a new industry that's being born within our lifetimes in a sense. Right. Yeah. And that's not a, that's not something that happens every day. Um, Unfortunately, like our job, as I said, is in reducing risk. And um, right now I can't in good conscience ask anyone to finance a cannabis farm in, in Jamaica. Since 2015, when the legislation changed, I think most people who invested in the industry are yet to see any returns. And so that's not something we want to offer to, um, to our customers right now. Um, 
but hopefully things will change and things are continuing to change and move. And I think, again, as international regulation changes, Jamaica can be better and better positioned to um, really do, do a lot in the space. I think we are uniquely, I think we have a real competitive advantage in this area. And we need to, we need to look at that and think about that, especially when it comes to um, agriculture or products in general, because we're not just talking about you know about the raw product but also the value added side of it and um we, ha we have to think within the global context and understand what where our competitive advantages are so i think we have one for scotch bonnet like the most productive island or country in the region is actually the dominican republic mm -hmm. and they produce things uh much cheaply and at much bigger scale than anything that's possible in jamaica but the reason we were able to decide on scotch bonnet pepper as being special is that we understand that there is a taste there's a difference in the taste or the flavor profile so there's still something that means that what we produce here in jamaica is is special or can can uh capture a certain segment of the market or it you know there is a it's unique, yeah. there's a place yeah there's something unique about it so we have to always remember that and even when you talk about cannabis we have to know that there are countries with much larger land masses with much better capacity to also produce this and typically um, in these um, in all of these supply chains you know the, the producer of the raw material is um, has very small margins and it's a race to the bottom basically so we have to decide how we want to participate in this and um, yeah position ourselves but I think I think you're onto something there, Simon. I think uh, it's not, it, it's a bit of a crazy question to ask maybe today, but hopefully not in a few years. That's why I said maybe, maybe a little crazy, but we will see. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else you want to add or where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and your project? Yeah, thanks so much for this opportunity. So I'd say um, people can definitely find us at farmcredibly.com. For simple questions, please just reach out. You know, there's a contact us form. Um, we're also on social media, on Instagram and on Twitter at Farm Credibly. So reach out through any one of these channels. If you're interested in financing a farm, um, again, get in touch and let's uh, help make that a reality. Thank you for listening. I hope to see you next time.